they should be around you if you haven't got a Bible. Church Bibles look like this. Um, uh, and it's on page uh, 1,153 of that. 1,153. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Starting at verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to dumb idols. Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them. To each one, just as he determines. Uh, let's pray as John comes up uh, to speak to us. Father, we thank you uh, for this word. We thank you that uh, as believers, you give us your spirit uh, to work in us uh, for our growth, but also for the building of your church. And I pray for John as he uh, preaches to us now that you'll equip him and you'll equip us to listen, that you'll prepare our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. We ask that you bless this word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. I'm feeling slightly self-conscious because I have this new thing around my face, which um, I'm trying to ignore completely, but makes me look like I'm playing some sort of video game some kind, but never mind. We'll, we'll go with it. We'll go with it. Have you got the uh, little clicker? Right. Thank you. So do keep your Bibles open at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, it'd be great to have a Bible in front of you as we look at these verses together. Um, and we're beginning, as Phil explains, we're beginning a new series. Uh, well, it's really a kind of continuation of a series that we've been working through together, which is all about the Holy Spirit. And before Christmas, we looked together at um, the, the fruit of the Spirit. And this side of Christmas, we're now beginning to think about the gifts of the Spirit. But before we kind of go any further, the first question really for us this morning is, what does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean to be spiritual? I don't know if that's a question you've thought about. I don't know even if you use that language of being a spiritual person. Some people will say that they are perhaps trying to learn how to be a little bit more spiritual. 
They're kind of recognizing, aren't they, that there's perhaps more to life than what we can see. But perhaps they're also thinking there's something in themselves that they can do in order to make themselves more spiritual. Or you might have heard someone say, look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. Maybe you've heard that kind of comment. And I understand it. There's the kind of that idea, isn't there, that someone might be hungry for something beyond what they can see. Maybe you want to reach out and try and connect with God. And yet they're also wanting to do it their own way. They wouldn't necessarily want to hear from someone else what it might mean to reach out and know God. Or you might have heard this idea that some churches are perhaps more spiritual than other churches. Or that some people, some Christians, are more spiritual than other Christians. You know, they're a particularly spiritual person. Somehow they're more in touch, perhaps, with the Holy Spirit. Well, what does it mean to be spiritual? It's a good question, and it really is going to be our focus as we dive into these three chapters in the middle of 1 Corinthians. Now, the letter 1 Corinthians was written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, to this church in Corinth. And if you were to read through the whole letter, you would see it is one messed up church, basically. It is a church with all kinds of problems, and he's writing to try and instruct them and inform them and help them in a number of different ways. And so he kind of uh, tackles all these different subjects and tackles all these different issues that the church has been going through and is facing. And at this point in the letter, at this point in the letter, chapter 12, verse 1, let's read it together. Let me read it to us. Just look at your Bibles. He says, now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, what he actually says there in, the, in that verse is now about matters relating to the Spirit. So that word gifts doesn't appear until verse 4. But the translator has put the word gifts there because they're kind of saying, look, this whole thing is really about spiritual gifts. But actually what he's saying there is now about things of the Spirit, or matters of the Spirit, or what it means to be spiritual. I don't want you to be uninformed. So what he's saying is, look, you guys, you've got in a muddle, a real muddle, about what it means to be a spiritual person. And if you were to read the letter as a whole, you'd see that is one of the key problems. They're kind of pitching one another, elevating one another above, them, above each other. They're, there's an elitism. They regard some people as more spiritual than others. And they're using spiritual gifts as a kind of badge, a badge of honor. If you have that gift, well, you must be super spiritual. And if you don't, well, you're not. Maybe you have been a scout or a cub. Anyone in the scouts or the cubs or the beavers or has been? Are you still in the cubs, Phil? Or is that? 
they never kicked it. They never, he never officially left. So, But if you go to the scouts, you know, it's all about, or at least in part, it's about collecting badges and having the right badges. And you earn your badges, and the more badges you are, the more important you become, or something like that. I've never been a scout in my life, as you can probably tell. But I have to say, when I first became a Christian, that is basically how I approached the Christian faith. I would look at other people. I, wa- I, I, I was passionate about Jesus. And I wanted everything that Jesus had to offer. And I would look at other people and I would wonder whether they were somehow more spiritual than me and what it would mean for me to have the badges, the things that they had, especially the ones that I saw as particularly important. And we can view our Christian faith in precisely that way. And that seems to be exactly what's going on in the Corinth. And so Paul says, look, let's just let's go back to basics, shall we? What does it mean to be spiritual? So look at verse 2. This is what he says. You know that when you were pagans, when you weren't Christians, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. His point is this. You cannot make Jesus Lord of your life without the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if Jesus is Lord of your life, you have the Holy Spirit, and you are a truly spiritual person. No more, no less. And before Paul wants to go any further, before he wants to even begin to talk about gifts, which he does from verse 4, he basically says, look, don't judge a person's spirituality on their gifts. Don't judge a person's Christian faith on what they seem to display or what they don't seem to display in relation to spiritual gifts in their lives. In fact, don't judge a church that way either. There's really only one question. Is Jesus Lord? I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you're looking for more of a connection with God. There is no other way to become spiritual than making Jesus Christ your Lord. Maybe you're looking for more of God in your life. There is no other place to turn than the Lord Jesus Christ and making him Lord of your life. See, that is what the gospel teaches us, isn't it? That it's Jesus as he stepped into the world, as he took all of our sin on himself and paid the penalty we deserved on our behalf for us by dying on the cross. Well, he is the one who brings us into a relationship with the Father. He is the one who makes us spiritual, who gives us, reconnects us with the God who made us. 
And our task is simply to submit ourselves to him as Lord. To hand over our sin, our failure, our successes, our hopes, our fears, and our eternal destiny. And that's true spirituality, (laughs) says Paul. If Jesus is Lord, you have the spirit and you are a truly spiritual person. So the next question, really, that Paul wants to tackle with the Corinthians is, well, what does that look like in the church, in the local church? What does that actually look like in the life of a local church? And what Paul's going to say in the next few verses, in fact, the next couple of chapters, the big thing, really, he's going to say to us is it looks like a spirit that brings unity in diversity. He says there's going to be loads of different ways that the spirit works out his power and his influence in our lives and through us in the life of the church. Loads of different ways, but there's a fundamental unity to us as the body of Christ. The Spirit brings unity in diversity. Now, we need to let that sink in because often when we talk about the Holy Spirit, when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, it automatically seems to bring division. In fact, 21st century UK evangelical churches divide themselves across charismatic and non-charismatic lines. It's absurd, isn't it, when you think about it, when actually the whole point of the ministry of the Spirit is to bring unity. The goal as we talk about this, as we pray about this, as we think about this, as we respond with obedience, should be unity. And he really just wants to show us two things that make that really, really clear this morning. The first is this. There are different gifts, but one giver. Different gifts, but one giver. Look at verse 4. So now he's talking about gifts. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them all. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So, Striking, isn't it? He says there's all kinds of different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, different kinds of ways that the Spirit will put us at work to serve one another, different kinds of workings, literally different kinds of activities that we may be involved in as Christians because of the Spirit's work in our lives. I think it's really striking even there that as he begins to talk about gifts, he says, let's go really broad, shall we? I'm not just wanting to talk about one or two very particular miraculous things. I want to talk about everything that you you do, everything, every way that you serve, and all the different kinds of ways that God gifts you 
to bless other people. See, I think we can often define things incredibly narrowly so that we say, well, you know, prayer, that's spiritual, isn't it? Prayer, oh, we can all agree prayer is spiritual, sure. You know, teaching the Bible, that, that's spiritual. Evangelism, that's spiritual. Speaking in tongues, that's really spiritual. But serving in the tea and coffee, no, that's not spiritual. Surely not. I mean, you know, having in, inviting someone round for Sunday lunch, that can't be spiritual, can it? But it's absurd, isn't it? I mean, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying it's all the work of the Spirit in your life. Different kinds of gifts, different kinds of serving, different kinds of working activity. We can say, oh, well, the thing that everybody needs to do is the ministry I'm involved in because that's the really important ministry. He says, no. God will gift us all in kinds of different ways and we'll have different passions, different hearts for different activities and different ministries. And it's all, he says, from the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. Or to put it in its slightly fuller way, it's all from the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father. This is Paul's way of saying, look, even in God himself, there is unity in diversity. God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet he works in a perfect unity as one God to gift us and resource us and strengthen us and help us and empower us so that we might be a blessing to one another and the world around us. So our unity, our unity in diversity, it speaks of him. It's how we show the world what God is like. And so he says, what matters far more than the gifts themselves is who has given them. There's one giver. In fact, chapter 4, verse 7, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast? as though you did not. All the way through this letter, that seems to be one of the problems, is that they're continually believing that the gifts that they have are something to do with them and how special they are and how more, much more important that they are than other people. So that actually the gifts aren't there to serve other people at all. They're there to serve themselves. So just imagine for a moment someone... Someone at church decides to, to bake brownies, a wonderful batch of brownies for the whole church. It's just a suggestion. I'm just throwing it out there. Just imagine. Just imagine. And they give this enormous box of brownies to me. And they say, John, I've baked all these wonderful chocolate brownies. And I'd like to you just to make sure that the church gets them say, I can absolutely ensure that will happen. And I get over the initial temptation just to eat them all myself. 
And I stand by the coffee and the tea with this enormous box of brownies, giving them out one by one to everyone who comes and sees me. Now, there are, I guess there are two ways I can go with that, aren't there? I can make it appear that all of these brownies have come from me. Probably quite easily. People, well, actually, probably with some difficulty, because I think nobody would suspect that was the case. But I can say, oh, yes, aren't they lovely? And say, oh, thank you for these brownies. I know, I know, it's okay. Please, you know, honestly, I really don't want all the credit. Or I can make it abundantly clear, can't I, in the way that I give these cakes out, that there is someone else <laughs> who thought about this, who cared enough to do this, who planned it, who bought the ingredients, who baked and made the brownies. And here's what we need to remember. Gifts are not first about us at all. They're about God and his extraordinary generosity to us. Let anything you do in the service of other people in the life of the church is not about you. It's about God and his incredible generosity to you and through you to other people. And therefore, gifts are not for you, but for you to serve other people. And that's the second thing he wants us to see this morning. Different gifts, but one goal. One goal. Look at verse 7. Now to each one, so that's to each of us, to each member of the body, to each Christian, to each person who proclaims Jesus is Lord, we might say, each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, so that's different kinds of gifts, different kinds of service, different kinds of workings, whatever the manifestation is in your life. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. Can you all see verse 7? Shall we say it together? Chapter 3, 1, 2, 3, for the common good. This is really important. They're for the common good. They're for others. They're for the, ch the health and the good of the church as a whole. They are not for us. That is the goal. The goal is common good. And that's going to be a key verse, that verse 7, to set up really everything Paul wants to say about gifts in the next couple of chapters. But what it means is that love is greater than gifts. Love is greater than serving. Love is greater than any kind of activity you may be involved in. As a Christian. Let's just flick on to chapter 13, verse 1. It's probably on the same page or the next page of your Bible. Chapter 13, verse 1. Love is greater than gifts. Listen to what Paul says. 
if I speak in the tongues of men and of or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Gifts matter, but the goal, the goal matters far, far more. I remember this is a long time ago now. Someone coming to the church, and it was the first time meeting them. And uh, they were trying to decide whether this was the right church for them. And, and I was talking to them, we were in conversation. The very first thing, pretty much, that the person said to me was, John, what you need to know about me is that I am a prophet. <laughs> and I have to say, at that moment, there were some alarm bells going off in my head. I thought, that's almost certainly that probably means you're not. But I wanted to be generous, and I wanted to be open to the fact that they might be. But it was clear, actually, from day one that that person had their own agenda. And even if they were gifted with a prophetic gifting, their number one priority was, how do I get to use my gift in this church? Not, how do I love my brothers and sisters here? in this family. And actually, it turned out they were rather controlling and they were rather divisive. And now he works for the church. No, no, that's not true. <laughs> but you know, the po- sorry, I was just trying to lighten the mood slightly there at that moment in time. The point is, Sorry, that was unfair, Phil. On you. <laughs> the point is that they may well have had the gift. I don't know, actually. It was hard to say. But they didn't have the goal. <laughs> that is for sure. They didn't have the goal. And that matters far, far more. And so he says, look, there are a whole variety of gifts that are given for the common good. And he lists some of them in verses 8 to 10. So look at verse 8. To one, so we're back in chapter 12, verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. He's, He's very deliberately trying to say, look, one person will have one thing, another person will have another thing, But they're all from the same source. We're back to the different gifts, one giver idea. But he says, look, some, they were given through the Spirit a message of wisdom to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. So these are gifts of of wise, wise and knowledgeable speech, supernaturally wise and knowledgeable speech. And actually, wisdom and knowledge are really important themes 
in 1 Corinthians. One of the big questions in 1 Corinthians is what is the difference between worldly and godly wisdom? And Paul says there will be people who are gifted in the church to help you with this, to help you discern what real wisdom and real knowledge look like. Now, there may be, in terms of very specific words of wisdom and knowledge that might come to people who can speak in a really powerful way into the life of an individual, into the circumstances that they face. It may be just much more generally that in their maturity and their wisdom over time, the Spirit has made them spiritually wise and knowledgeable. And I want to suggest we have at Crossway Church some extremely, incredibly wise people. Not with a wisdom of their own, but a wisdom that has come from the Holy Spirit. And that is an immense gift to the church. I wonder if you know the difference between worldly and spiritual wisdom. I wonder, actually, would you even value that? Or are you the kind of person that no one can tell any, any, anything to you, anything different? You know, we have in the church people who are incredibly wise with a wisdom that has come only from God. Verse 9, to another Faith by the same Spirit, he says. Faith. Now, at this point, I don't think he means saving faith, like some people have the gift of saving faith and others don't, because we all, if we're Christians, are given faith by God to respond to the gospel. I don't think he's quite talking about that. I think what he's talking about here is that there are certain people who are given a kind of robust, optimistic confidence in the sovereignty of God, in a way that is an incredible blessing to the church as a whole. So maybe as we face difficult challenges as a church, or trials as a church, or decisions as a church, there are certain people who speak in a way that builds the church up, lifts our eyes to God, and helps us all to raise our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have many people like that. Many people. Do you know, one of the things that I just, I love is our members' meetings. When we will be talking about something together, or we'll be examining some kind of problem and we don't know what to do, and we'll all be talking, we'll all be discussing, and we'll we'll all have sort of something to say. And someone will speak in a way that just lifts all of our eyes back to God. We'll be thinking, oh, we're not quite sure what to do. Should we do this? Should we do that? What is the best way forward? I don't know. And here's the 11 points I've got on the matter. And here's the 12 points I've got to say on the matter. And and then someone will just say, yeah, but can I just say this? (laughs) And everyone goes, yes, that's right, isn't it? That's right, God is sovereign. I can trust him in this. I have to say, people like that are an amazing are amazing people to spend time with. 
I wonder if we always value people like that or understand people like that. Sometimes we can find people like that troublesome, embarrassing. We don't understand them. But they are an amazing gift to the body of Christ. Further on, verse 9, to another gift, faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. Now actually here, both words, the words gifts and the words healing are plural. So he's saying gifts of healings, gifts of various kinds of healing. Now, this is basically healing of any kind that might take place through another person in the life of a Christian to build them up. And that might be medical. It might be natural. It might be spiritual. It might be supernatural. It might be totally miraculous. But I think when we think about healing, we very often get bogged down in, will we be healed? When will we be healed? How will we be healed? And actually, Paul doesn't tell us any of that here. He simply says that we need to be thankful for the gift of people who have various kinds of ways they heal others, whether that's natural or supernatural, medical, spiritual, whatever. They are a blessing. To, it is a blessing, isn't it, to be healed? It's an immense blessing. And he says we need to be thankful to God whenever that happens. And in whatever way that happens, and recognize that these people are a gift from him to us. Verse 10, to another, miraculous powers. That sounds good, doesn't it? That sort of laser beam eyes or something like that. Actually, what he's really saying here is to others, they will be given workings of power. They will be able to work powerfully. And the word miraculous is put in there by the translator to try and get a sense of the fact that this is a, a supernatural working of power through an individual in the life of another so what we're talking about is people who are gifted in a particular way with a supernatural exercise of power. Now that might be powerful and miraculous acts. It might be powerful and effective leadership. It might be an extraordinarily, an exceptional effectiveness in ministry. 
But the point is this, that whenever someone acts in a way that has an effectiveness, a power to it that is beyond the norm, in a way that blesses the church, then we need to recognize that that is a gift from God. And I wonder whether we ever really do that. But I think there are all kinds of ways that we see God work through individuals with an extraordinary effectiveness. Some people just seem to get results, don't they, in a way that others don't. It might be an extraordinary effectiveness in leading the church through a decision or, or, or obtaining something, acquiring something for the church. It may be an extraordinary power in, you know, the lives of young people on a Friday night <laughs> in a way that blesses them in an extraordinary way. And you kind of think, look, I could never do that. I don't have that effectiveness, but that person does. Where's that come from? The Holy Spirit. And the last four in the list are then going to become the focus for chapter 14. So he says, so we'll spend much more time on these last four. He says, to another prophecy. Prophecy is all about declaring and telling forth the revealed will of God in all kinds of different ways. It's distinguishing between the spirits. I think what that means is really weighing prophecy and discerning, is this from God or not? It says there will be certain people who have that ability to weigh well, whether something has come from God or not. Speaking in tongues, which really Paul seems to understand here in these chapters as a heavenly language that is given to some people in order to release a longing, a prayerful longing to God. And then the interpretation of tongues which is, a, again, a supernatural ability to put those tongues into words, into a human language, so that actually other people can hear that and be blessed by it and be built up by it. Like I say, we'll spend much more time on those in chapter 14. But his point is, I, mean, I think he's not, it's not random, the list he's given there. These are all really important for the Corinthian church to sort out. Because actually, they're getting in a muddle over this stuff, and they're using them as badges to make themselves feel more important or to make other people feel less important. And his whole point is, no, they all come from God. They all come from the Spirit. So that we're all one, whoever we are, in Jesus. But the nine that are listed here are not all of the gifts. You could go to other passages in the New Testament and see other gifts that are listed. In fact, there's about 20 different gifts that are listed in the New Testament. But that doesn't suggest that there's only 20 gifts. No, the whole point is that there are all kinds of gifts, all kinds of ways of serving, all kinds of ways that we are at work 
by the Spirit in the life of the church. In a sense, anything that we do, given by good, God, for the common good, is a gift from him. Actually, if we really want to see the full range of gifts, look in the church. Look in the church. And you'll see any number of extraordinary gifts and unusual gifts and remarkable things that are just right for what the church needs. It's one reason among many other reasons why any of us who calls, claims to be a Christian, who has made Jesus Lord, needs to take seriously the fact that we belong to one another. And we belong to a body. We belong to the church. And so his conclusion in verse 11 is, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. He says there are different gifts, but there's one goal. There are different gifts, but there is one giver. So as we kind of finish this morning, I just have three questions that come out of this for us. The first is simply this. Have you grasped that if you have Jesus, you have everything? Have you grasped that? Just turn back with me, will you, to... 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So it's the same letter, but it's right at the beginning. So it's presumably it's just a few pages back in your Bible. And I just want to read something from Paul's prayer. Whenever Paul writes a letter, there's a prayer, a, a kind of a sort of opening prayer, pretty much with every letter. And what you'll find is that if you look carefully at that prayer, it will probably tell you the key thing Paul wants the people to learn from his letter. It's like he's praying it for them before he then says it. So what's the key thing he wants the Corinthians to know? Chapter 1, verse 1. Let me read from verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. You do not lack any spiritual gift. If you have Jesus, you have everything. And it's very tempting, isn't it, for us to look elsewhere, to look somewhere other than Jesus for what we need. Maybe you're not a Christian here this morning. And you're looking for something. I want to suggest that whatever it is that you are looking for, in the end, 
You will only ever find it in Jesus. You can look. You can look for the whole of your life, but you will only find it in Jesus. And if you're a Christian here this morning, the task is really only for us to press more deeply into him. Submit to his lordship. Just give it all to him. All the dark corners. All your hopes, all your longings, give them to him. Submit to his lordship and walk with him. Secondly, do you value unity in diversity? There's two dangers, aren't there? The first is that diversity becomes division. People aren't like us, or they have different priorities or different passions, different gifts, different focuses, where we say, well, I just want to find people a bit more like me. Maybe I should find a church where they all look a bit more like me. And you're saying, John, there's no church where that's going to be true. At that point, diversity just becomes division. There is a joy in the breadth of the, of the kind of uh, the, the prism, really, of God's blessing amongst his people. And we mustn't elevate a single gift or a single characteristic or type of person. The other danger is that unity becomes uniformity. So we say, well, if you want to be a part of this church, you've got to be like this. You've got to do things this way. You've got to think like this way and act this way. Instead of actually really valuing the distinctiveness of the way that God has made us. So do we value unity in diversity? I guess in a context like ours, where we place such an emphasis on the teaching of God's word, it's very tempting, isn't it, to then elevate Bible teaching as somehow more spiritual, more important, more special than other things. And that could, I think that could genuinely be a real danger for us. And maybe it's, it's something we fall into. Someone, I remember someone saying, you know, church is not a place where we simply gather to watch one person use their gift. And there's a danger, isn't there, that that could be the case. And we need to be careful, don't we, that we value one another's gifts and that we all seek to find our place to serve in the life of the church. It doesn't mean everybody has their turn at the front, does it? Because that would be to sort of make all the gifts the same or to make this the only gift. It just means that we value everything, don't we, that goes on in the life of the church. But the flip side would be to say, well, therefore, we shouldn't have preaching. But that doesn't value that gift either, does it, if you do that? Now, actually, the whole point is that we are diverse in our gifts, and, and each gift needs its place. Each person needs their place 
to serve for the common good. And as we do that, we will grow together. Finally, is love your goal? Before Paul gets specific, he says that everything we do in the life of the church should be for the common good. I wonder if that's your prayer as you come to church on a Sunday morning. Is that your prayer as you walk up in the rain? Probably not. (laughs) But it should be, shouldn't it? Shouldn't that be our prayer, Lord? This morning, may I use my gifts? May I serve? May I be active in the things you're asking me to do for the common good and to love others? Because if Jesus is Lord, We will be full of the Holy Spirit. And love will be the goal. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just want to say thank you that you have poured out your Spirit on us. I want to say thank you that You have gifted us and you have called us into any number of areas of service and working in the life of the church and in the world. Father, I just want to thank you that you've made each of us different. And it's a blessing, it's an honor, it's a privilege to get to love others in the way that you've asked me to do that. Father, I just pray that for each of us, we would see it that way. We would make love the goal. And we would see that it has all come from you. Father, I just pray for us as a church family. We might reflect even more the unity and diversity that is there even within you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.